0: My name is Natalie Ladley, and I'm the President and Fundraising Chair for CDKL5 Canada. We live in Heathcote, which is just outside the Collingwood area in Ontario, Uh, and we have three children. Our youngest daughter, Bryn, has CDKL5 Deficiency Disorder, also known as CDD. She's seven, and then we have our oldest daughter is Reese, she's 12, and Cullen is 10. CDKL5 is a mutation in the CDKL5 gene, uh, which essentially stops the production of the protein that's essential for uh, normal brain development and uh, the development of neurons. And so the impact of that is uh, children have intractable epilepsy and neurodevelopmental delays, so uh, it can impact cognition, motor skills, uh, vision, and speech. Brynn was born uh, full term, she was a healthy baby, I had a healthy pregnancy, and around six weeks of age she started having seizures. She was put on some anti-epileptic meds and by the time she was four months old she was on three different anti-epileptics with no relief from the seizures. So we went through with PET CT scans and MRIs and there was no abnormalities, at which point the neurologist suggested that we do genetic testing. It was right around nine months old when we got the diagnosis, which was unfortunate timing for us because she happened to be having a little honeymoon period. And so she'd been seizure free for three weeks and we had convinced ourselves that she just had this random infant epilepsy and she'd outgrown it. And then, of course, we got the devastating news that she had a CDD. Getting the diagnosis was really tough. I happened to be alone at the hospital when we got the news. So all of a sudden you're receiving this information and you're looking at your baby who at the time I thought, oh, you know, she's doing great. You know, she wasn't hitting her milestones, but you know, it becomes your new normal and you just sort of think, well, she's having a really good day and you know, she's doing good based on, on how she's been doing in general. And all of a sudden you find out that, you know, your child is likely never going to walk and never going to talk and will never live independently. And know it was it was crushing like it it was so hard for me to wrap my head around how this doctor could know with certainty all of these things about my child and and you know and then all of a sudden you hit like this wall of grief because all of these hopes and expectations you have that you don't even realize you have you know you realize that none of those are going to happen and so it was it was pretty rough the first couple days and but then i came home and my husband and i you know talked about it and you know, after going through like the vast amount of symptoms that are associated with CDKL-5, we realized that the only way to really deal with it was just to take one day at a time and just, you know, with the same attitude that I'd, you know, I'd walked into the hospital thinking she's doing great. Meanwhile, you know, she was a nine-month-old who couldn't sit up and was having seizures previously. And, you know, like we knew she was behind, but just take it one day at a time and that's how we can move forward. And so that's kind of what we've been doing. We just address each symptom as it comes up and try not to get overwhelmed with the caregiving aspect of it. Brynn is a spunky seven-year-old. You know, if you were to see her in an arena or at a soccer game, which is where we spend most of our time, you would probably think that she just, you know, is oblivious to the world around her. She's seven years old. She's in a wheelchair. She's nonverbal. She's has a feeding tube. She's, you know... On initial glance, it doesn't look like she's very engaged, but everyone who knows her well, I always know when a teacher knows her well, because they say, oh, she's such a drama queen. And I'm like, okay, that's (laughs) Brynn. So somehow without speaking a word and she doesn't gesture, she really has very limited ways of communicating, but she manages to capture everybody's heart. And Eric and I always say that's her superpower is that she charms everybody that she meets. She loves her friends. She's in school. She's included in her grade two classroom and participates in as many different activities as she can. And she goes horseback riding as part of her hippotherapy. Hippotherapy is a type of physiotherapy So Bryn sits on the horse, she rides frontwards, she rides backwards, she lies down on her stomach and on her back. And, uh, it not only provides her impact that she doesn't get because she doesn't walk, but it also, um, allows her hips to move in the motion. The stride of the horse when it walks moves her hips in the way that mimics walking. And so it's really good for her joints. And it also gives her the feeling of vestibular motion that she doesn't get, uh, from walking. She loves being in her swing and, uh, in the swimming pool. And, you know, there's an abundance of activities that she thoroughly enjoys participating in. She just misses a lot of the sort of typical activities that a seven year old would be doing. Bryn communicates a lot with her eyes. She gives a stink eye if she's not happy with you far more often than she gets a smile, if I'm being honest and, She often, if she's excited, she'll kick her legs out or she'll sometimes squeal. She will give us smiles occasionally, but uh, more often than not, she's just quite content and she's a very mild mannered little girl. She doesn't complain. She never cries. And we joke that she's the easiest to get along with because she doesn't talk back. And I say to the other kids, yeah, Bryn's our favorite because she never gives us any grief about anything. (laughs) So Reese and Cullen both have really close relationships with Bren, but they interact with her really differently. So, you know, they both are affectionate and care about her um, and care for her. But Reese, who's 12, uh, is much more practical in her approach. She likes to help, she sets up for Brynn. She'll change her. She makes her medicine. She's very hands-on in that respect. And then Cullen is like the sensitive soul who just will like climb on the couch with her and snuggle her and read her a million Peppa Pig books. And so it's interesting. They have totally different relationships, but I think she values both. You know, she gets to engage with both of them and just in different ways. Brynn is currently on three anti-epileptic medications, and she also takes uh, CBD oil, cannabinoid oil, which helps control her spasms. Uh, She's having approximately two seizures a day that vary in length right now between four and five minutes, which is good compared to this time last year when she was having her average seizure length last year was between 10 and 12 minutes. And that's, for us, we find it's the most difficult part of CDKL5. There's a huge array of symptoms and they all require different levels of care, but the seizures are the part that impacts our life the most. It sort of stops whatever activities you're doing. If we're having dinner, Eric and I have to get up and leave the table. If we're in public, it doesn't bother us, but it bothers everybody who's around us. It makes people uncomfortable, which, you know, is never a great feeling for for us or for Bryn it steals all of Brynn's joy. Like when she's having a good day with no seizures, she's bright eyed and she's engaging and you know, you can really feel like you're communicating with her and she's reciprocating that, but the seizures just steal the show. Like she sleeps and she's exhausted and she has a hard time clearing her airways. And you know, it just, it's just really burdensome. After Bryn was diagnosed, we made it till she was around two, and then we quickly realized that working a normal nine to five job wasn't gonna make sense for us anymore. Between her doctor's appointments in Toronto and the physiotherapist and the occupational therapist, and you know, just even seeing the regular pediatrician and it wasn't sustainable for me to continue working full-time. So um a business opportunity came up that was totally out of left field, and my husband pushed me and encouraged me to take it on and so now I run my own business and it's taken a huge weight off our shoulders because it allows me to have some flexibility and I can make time for Bryn without feeling like I'm doing it at the expense of an employer. I ended up joining the board of CDKL5 Canada um, when Bryn was one and a half and it was for me at the time. In a situation where I felt like I had no control and I had really no ability to do anything for Brin to help her, other than caring for her, you know, being on the board made me feel like, okay, this is something that I can, this is something I can accomplish. I can work towards goals. We can help create awareness. We can fundraise and invest that money into research. And maybe one day there'll be treatments or a cure. And even if it's not for Brin, then if other families don't have to suffer through the experiences that we're suffering through, then, you know, then it's all worth it. So having Dr. Eubanks is a gift for patients with CDKL5 because it's so hard to find researchers who are interested in studying rare diseases, first of all, because they're not well known. So a lot of people aren't even aware that they exist. Um, But also because there's not necessarily the funding and there's not people willing to invest. Dr. Eubanks found us, I think, through connection through uh, Rett syndrome, and he's just been incredible. The Lulu Foundation is a nonprofit organization that runs out of London, and they host a scientific forum. They've been hosting these forums for about 10 years now, and Dr. Eubanks is one of 12. They call him one of the pioneers who has been attending the CDKL5 forum right from the beginning and has never missed a year his research is so progressive and he's making such a big impact. And you know, just when you speak to him that he cares so deeply about the work he's doing. It's not just some random rare disease to him. Like he cares and he asks about Bryn, and he, you know, gives feedback about symptoms or strange things that happen that I'm just kind of shaking my head and trying to wrap my head around. And, you know, he wants to be a part of it and his passion and his dedication makes a huge difference. And, you know, on on days where it feels hopeless for us, you know, we're up all through the night and sleep deprived and oftentimes just kind of, you know, you have days where you're like, How am I gonna keep doing this? Like I'm exhausted and you know, it feels like everything just piles up and then I'm like, Okay. But Dr. Eubanks is in the lab and he is plugging away and he's making a difference for us. And and that's all you need sometimes. You just need to know that you've got somebody in your corner who is, you know, rooting for you and and trying to make the world a better place, really. Caring for a child with special needs, um, it's hard. It's a heavy load. And I would be lying if I said, you know, it's all sunshine and roses. We we're a silver lining family and we do try to, you know, find the humor in situations and try to make the best of it because at the end of the day, we don't really have choice you know if, if we could have a healthy child that would always be the option that you would choose um so you know it's it's a struggle but the silver linings are that you know it it does make you incredibly grateful for when your child is healthy and and thriving she genuinely somehow without speaking a single word brings out the best in everybody around her including us our friends and family our community everybody reaches out and you know digs deep in their pockets and in their hearts and you know she's included at school in ways that I never could have ever expected or or imagined um and you know it just kind of makes your heart swell and I'm like oh my gosh I didn't you know I would never have known that this world existed if it wasn't for Bren um so yeah I mean it's certainly not what I expected when you know when we tried for our third child if i if i had a known and had a window i mean oh my gosh i can't imagine life without brin but it's you know it's amazing you have healthy kids and you just you never dawn, just think that this could be somebody's reality for rare diseases it needs to be a collaboration between the scientific community and uh, the patient advocacy groups because really at the end of the day the neurologists are out there, but they're dealing with so many different disorders and they're sort of inundated with everything. And And there's not the volume in the rare disease community for practitioners to really be able to treat patients like specific to their disease. Uh, and I think if you can find a connection like what we have with Dr. Eubanks, where we can support him monetarily in a small way and he can be engaged with us and understand, you know, get a real-life picture of what he's looking at because, you know, he's joked with me and said, you know, we look at it on such a microscopic level and then you meet children and you're like, this is what we're here for, you know, like this is, this is what we're working towards. And, and I think having that connection and having the support and working together in the rare disease community more so than, than in, you know, regular areas of health, I think that's the most impactful thing.